One, it's just good to be back after a week off and a week break, and I hope you missed Oasis, but I'm really glad you're, you're back here tonight. Um, parents and friends and family, I'm really excited about um, just the fact that we're baptizing four students tonight. So thank you for being a part of this. Thank you for your support. For some of you, you're, maybe your child came to you and was like, I want to do this, but maybe, they were ner- maybe it took some encouragement from you. And um, Anyway, for all those things, I commend you for sort of encouraging your son or daughter to be baptized tonight. But uh, before we do baptisms, I am going like, to talk to you a little bit. I'm going to teach. I know you listen to people, to teachers, all day long at school, and, um, and then you come to Oasis and you listen more a little bit, but um, we're going to dive into the Bible. We're still going to small groups tonight, so we're just going to teach for less, like half the time, and then um, do baptisms and go to small groups. So I think we're on time. Hey, um, I, uh, Eli, where's Eli? I... Scott Jackson even said this to me like when he was leading that last song, but you're a blessing, brother, to just lead us in worship every week. I love, um, I love how real you are. I, just, I really appreciate your authenticity, and I feel like I imagine I, I, I am saying that for a lot of the students, too. Like I just, when you talk, it's, it's really fun to listen to, and I don't mean to put you on the spot, but I love you, so way to be. You're, you're a blessing. And lastly, too, again, if you're a guest tonight, if you, this is your very first time, um, thanks for being at Oasis. And the friend who brought you, probably you came because you had a friend bring you. Um, you should thank your friend for inviting you because they're like the coolest person in the world because they brought you to Oasis. But I hope you have a good time. Real quick, Sydney Boyce. Sydney Boyce was, if you missed the, the fall retreat or you, this is the first night you've showed up to Oasis all year, so uh, most of you, that's not the case. But um, Sydney was a student that was in an accident with Carrie and Kaylee Wilcox on the way home from the fall retreat. They left early on Saturday night, and they were not far from the camp, and they got into a, just a pretty bad car accident, a very bad car accident. The road was snowy, and a car was coming, and so they hit a car. Um, just a quick update on her. So she's a Gretna student. Um, she's in Lincoln now. I think I mentioned this two weeks ago, maybe, but she's in Lincoln at a, like a re- rehab hospital, rehabilitation hospital called Madonna. It's a great facility. Um, I know Kaylee and some friends have been up to visit her often. Others of you have too. Um, I got to go up last week on Tuesday with Jack, and um, she is slowly making good progress. She will probably be in there, like, sort of just rehab and therapy until Christmas. Um, keep praying for her. So, like, physically, she's really doing well. She's, like, had to learn to walk again. Um, like, she's fully with it. I mean, she had a conversation fine. But um, she had to learn just basic skills, so like, but I, th- I think that's going well. She had to learn to walk again. Can you imagine that, being in a car accident? She remembers all kinds of long-term stuff. She doesn't remember the accident, and she sort of has no short-term memory. And so that's sort of the greater thing, is they're working on short-term memory. And um, it's crazy, just a head, a ma- like a major head injury, concussion like that, like what it can do, that suddenly your brain goes, I don't know how to walk. And I'm not trying to make light of it, but so pray for Sydney. Whether you know her or not, and most of you don't, continue to pray for Sydney Boyce. Um, she's got two younger siblings, too. She's got a five-year-old and a, an eight-year-old sibling, I think eight, seven or eight. Um, and Brian and Dawn are really great people. They're not Brooksiders. I don't know that they would call themselves Christians even, and so um, keep praying for them. So, um, all right, uh, here's where we're going to go. I'm going to dive into a question that's sort of related to baptism, and so we're going to we're going to dive into um, a passage in, in Mark, and then we're going to baptize these students. So here's the question tonight. This will be on the screens. Um, what does following Jesus really mean? I've sort of been on this kick of going, 
we all hear that phrase. You come, most of you, maybe not most of you, a lot of you have come to church your whole life, every Sunday, maybe every Wednesday, or whenever the church is open and there's stuff going on. And um, you sort of learn the Christian lingo and the Christian language, and you know what you're supposed to do. And it's very, very easy to not be real. I mean, again, I love Eli when he stands up here and he just goes, I struggle with the Christmas season sometimes. Um, most of us like to think that we come to church and we sort of have to put on the right face, right? And maybe we struggle with stuff, maybe we don't. But whatever the, whatever the case is, when I go to church, I got to act like, uh, I don't know, I don't struggle with the Christmas season. I don't struggle with anything. And I'm always happy. And um, our language, we all struggle with language, or at least a lot of us do. You go to public school and you're, you're just language is bad, and everyone else is, but you can come to Oasis, and you can just shut it off, right? You can go home, and you can just shut it off, and I've been wrestling with when it, we say follow Jesus all the time. We want to follow Jesus. I want to be a disciple of Jesus. I want to um, know Jesus more, but what does that really mean? And there's a lot of things we could talk about, um, but there's a couple things we're going to talk about tonight that are straight out of this passage in Mark, but so um, what does that mean to follow Jesus. And so at the end of the book of Matthew, we have the, the record that Jesus came to his disciples after he came back to life. The guy was dead for three days. Imagine your grandparents or something. Just again, we've all heard this, but imagine a person being dead and then suddenly like here they are. They've come back to life. And not only that, Jesus still had these holes in his hands and his feet. They could touch those. They could see that this is the same guy. He has holes. He has a hole, a, a hole in his side. Um, but he says this. He comes to them at some point. I don't know where this was, if they were in a locked room somewhere or where, but he says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. In which case, anything anybody would say after that should really make you pay attention. Like he could have said anything. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. I am God. Come to you as a man in the flesh. And so I say, whatever he would say, you should eat sloppy joes every single day of your life. Like, whatever he said after that, you'd go, okay, he, I get, he's got all authority. So, but what does he say, right? We all have heard this so many times. Um, Therefore, go and make disciples. Make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teach them what? I just teach them stuff? No, teach them to obey. He says, teach them to obey everything that I've commanded you. It's really, it's all in one sentence. It's not very hard. He says, go and make disciples. You are to be disciples. You're to continue to be followers of me, even though I'm leaving very soon. You're to be disciples, and you're supposed to make disciples. So I want to look real quick at how Jesus did it, at sort of how Jesus made disciples, at some of the foundational, simple things um, that he said, and what some of the implications are for us learning about what it means to follow Jesus um, today. And again, this isn't rocket science, but it's, um, it's, it's good, and it's all right here, and it's not, it's not, um, it's not hard. Um, so if you have a Bible, or if you have a smartphone, um, go there. Pull it out, Bible app. I'm like, less and less do you have the printed Bible. Some of you, or in like two years from now, students are going to be like, all I know is this app on my phone. Hopefully not. Um, 
But turn to Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1, verse 14. So this is right at the beginning of the book of Mark. And Jesus, um, or I'm sorry, Mark records this, verse 14, chapter 1. After John, which is John the Baptist, was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. And he said this, verse 15, he says, The time has come, he said, the kingdom of God is near. The kingdom of God, a whole new kingdom, is near, it's come, it's at hand, it's very, very close. And he says, it's near. I think he was saying, I'm bringing it. I am ushering it in, this whole new kingdom, this whole new administration, this whole new way of living. The kingdom of God is near. And so he says, repent and believe this good news. Repent, you've probably heard this before, repent means like to completely change your, the direction you're going and your, um, your way of living. So to repent is sort of to do a 180 and go, I was living this way and doing this, and suddenly I'm turning and I'm doing this. Um, these two things, repentance and belief, um, I heard it put this way in Bible college, that um, they're like two sides of the same coin, that it's sort of like one and the same thing. But when you, when you repent and go, I used to be in control of my life. I was the master. I was the Lord. I did things my way, and no one was going to tell me otherwise. I am in charge. I am the Lord. When we turn and go, God is the Lord. Jesus is the Lord. I'm going to follow Jesus now. I have a new master. It's not about me. I'm going to deny myself, and I'm going to turn and believe, put my trust in Jesus. It's the same. It's all the same. It's the same coin. It's sort of two sides of the same thing. Repent, turn, and put your trust in this good news. So, okay, that's a that's a good message. Um, first century people, I don't know if they were expecting this, but this is what happens. Jesus goes along, verse 16, walking beside the Sea of Galilee. He saw Simon, who's Peter. He wrote First and Second Peter, Simon Peter, and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for there were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. Who speaks their language, he goes, you guys are really good at doing what you're doing, at getting fish, and I want you to catch men. So follow me. And at once, they left their nets and followed him. And I'm not going to get into why that is, but none of you would probably do that, right? Especially not in today's world if some guy with like, maybe he had crazy long hair and he just looked weird, went, hey, come along. You'd have been like, no, you look creepy. Um, I don't know that Jesus looked creepy. There's things about maybe he was um, he looked like a rabbi. Maybe it was very, very well known that he was a rabbi. And these students, it was a very Jewish culture still. Only the best of the best got picked. And they were like, obviously older than that. They were maybe in their late teens or 20s. And they go, I want to get picked. The best of the best get picked. And Jesus is asking us, and we're ordinary guys. And so he said to us, so like, maybe you just did it. And that maybe makes more sense. I've heard that as a that's a better explanation than just the stranger thing. So I think there was something about him where they go, yes, this, is, this guy looks better than fishing. But so that was the first example. Verse 19, when he had gone a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. Um, three very simple things in this short, short passage, passage that I want to point out to you that I think if you remember these three things, it's sort of the essence of following Jesus. It's the essence of discipleship. It's the, it's the simplest three things about what it means to be a Christian. So first of all this, following Jesus means making a decision to follow Jesus. 
that there has to be a decision. So in verse 17, Jesus gives an invite, and it just says, at once, they like decided to go. Again, you go, okay, that's not hard. Um, but that decision is very, very, is huge. And here's the thing. I would say, I think we need to make that decision like daily. Like it starts at a certain point. At a certain point in your life for these four students getting baptized, maybe it wasn't just last week, but in the last year or the last six months, for some of them the last month, something clicked and they go, I have decided that Jesus is my Lord and Master, and I am not living life my way anymore. I've, I've lived my life. I'm living my life for Him. So there is a starting point. There's a first time when you make that decision. But our default is to go, I'm in charge, isn't it? Our default is to go, eh, excuse my bluntness, but our, our, we go, screw God today. I, I don't really care what He has to say. I want to live for me because at school, um, it's all about me being accepted or me being popular or people liking me. And... Um, Forget God today. Forget serving. Nobody else is serving. I'm going with the masses. And so every day we have to make a decision, I think. You've got to wake up in the morning and go, who's in charge today? Is it me or is it God? But making that decision is huge. Um, think about it like this. It's possible to go to church every week and still not follow, follow Jesus and still not this, have made that decision to follow Jesus. It's possible for you to call yourself a Christian. When you go, I'm a Christian but you're still really not following Jesus. It's even possible to say, I think it's possible for you to say, I believe in Jesus, but to not be following Jesus. And we do all three of those things. You guys, I totally, I mean, I professed being a Christian all through middle school, the first half of high school, but I, I don't know. I look back now and I sort of go, I think it was all, that was a shame. Like those years, I, my actions totally didn't back up what I said I believed. My actions proved otherwise. When I was a junior in high school, suddenly I go, no, 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 I can't live like a hypocrite anymore. And it clicked for me, but a lot of us are in that boat. Like we say one thing, but our actions prove otherwise, and we know it. So you have to make a decision to follow Jesus, and it doesn't happen by default. Secondly is this, following Jesus means we will fish for people. It means we will fish for people. Jesus said, I will make you fishers of men. And I think he, was say, he said that right at, the, like, right at the beginning. He didn't say, hey, I'm going to teach you a lot of stuff. I know you know nothing. You're fishermen. Um, he said that like the very first thing, follow me. But we're like, we're in the people business. We are people pursuers. Me in high school, I was deathly afraid of, I was afraid of people. And a lot of us are like that too, right? We're introverted. Um, Jesus would come up at the, at the uh, cafeteria table, and I would like shrink into the corner. And everybody knew I was a Christian. My dad was a pastor. But I, I was scared of people. Uh, we have to go after people. So Matthew, the tax collector, who wrote the book of Matthew, he was a tax collector. He was an awesome example of this. When, as soon as Matthew comes to know Jesus, comes to Christ... Um, he throws a party at his house and invites all of his like totally like non-Christian partying friends. And they're all there. And the Pharisees, all these religious people show up too. You, you, you've read this before. And they're like ticked at Jesus. Like, what are you doing hanging out with all these partiers? And who knows? I don't know. Maybe there was stuff there. I don't know what like Matthew goes, well, was there beer? Was there alcohol? I don't know. I don't think Jesus probably like dove into that, right? But he was there. He hung out with, he went there. 
The Pharisees didn't engage with sinful people because they didn't have compassion on people. And sometimes we get like that too. That I sometimes go, where's my love for people? Or you go, I know I'm supposed to do this, or I'm supposed to, I'm supposed to be nice. But if we're honest, we sort of go, I really don't like him. I really don't like her. That's messed up. And you're gonna, what is the solution? To see how much Jesus radically loves us when we cast him off. To see that he took the, he took the cross for us when we, when we like, could care less about him at times. Um, the longer we're Christians, the easier it is to only hang out with Christian friends, too, and be in a Christian bubble. And again, I understand that's hard. You become a Christian. I was like this in high school. Um, I never really went to the parties anyway, and I stopped getting invited to, th- to them, especially my last two years. Um, but the longer you're a Christian, the harder it is to engage with your like, non-Christian friends. Um, you maybe still have them. You maybe don't want to hang out with them because you'll be tempted by the things they're doing. Or to start with, they're just not going to do the things that you like, want to or should do anyway. Um, but still, how do we do that? I mean, I think Jesus still says, go after people. It's not the healthy who need a doctor. It's the sick. And he makes that very clear. And so how, and maybe you go, Brad, I just, for right now, I can't go back to that party my parents would let me anyway, but if I did, I, like two years ago, I was there, and I will fall into that, and um, I get that, right? I mean, I was there too, so maybe that's the, once you hit college, I don't know, you go, I have a new resolve, and I'm going to go hard after non-Christians. Um, I'm going to tell them what Jesus did in my life. I don't know how it looks for you, but we need to make fishers of men. And finally, it's this, following Jesus means living in community with other believers, Following Jesus means living in community, in a group, in some sort of setting with other believers. Um, at times, that last point and this point go together. So Jesus never sent out the disciples on their own and said, hey, yeah, go fish for men. All by yourself. Yeah. But if you went to a party, I mean, I'm just thinking this is totally not in my notes. If you went to a party with like three other Christian friends, one, I don't know if, what that would do to the party, but um, somehow, again, if you were like in community and asked other non-Christians to join you in things. Um, Rick Warren put it like this at his church when they asked him about, like, how do you share Christ with others? He goes, do the things you love to do. Just invite non-Christians along. So you love playing tennis, or you're playing tennis right now, or you're, you're playing volleyball, or you're, I don't know, you, you can invite people to show choir, but you love to sing, or you love to dance, or you love to go to movies. You love to drink coffee. I love to drink coffee. I love to go to Starbucks. You got to call up anybody that you know that's a non-Christian, and you just invite them to do that with you. You still do the same things. Just bring non-Christian friends along when you do it. But you guys, the Bible makes a huge deal out of living in community with others. And so where is this in this passage, verses 18 and 20? He calls two guys, but it says, um, at once they left their nets and followed him. In verse 20, without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men, and they followed him. It is never done in isolation. We, in 21st century America, constantly are thinking about ourselves as individuals, that we're autonomous, that it's all about us. Um, The Bible portrays a totally different picture about discipleship and how it's done, that we should radically be more, like, involved in people's lives. This is the thing, maybe even it helps post-fall retreat, but, like, we got to get in small groups and actually start to be honest about, like, what our struggles are. 
And um, again, we can't do that if the whole group is not unified and is going to keep it confidential or get serious when they need to get serious. And I know having fun is, is great for like maybe the first half, but there's a time to get serious. So small groups are absolutely essential, and you have one at Oasis. And if you're in one and it stinks because no one, you know, gets serious, talk to me or talk to your leader. or We'll, we'll figure something out. I don't care what it is, but we'll figure, we'll figure something out if you're like, my group's just not clicking. So three things. Following Jesus means making a decision to follow Jesus. Following Jesus means we fish for people. We go after people who don't know him. And it means living in community with other believers. Um, that's what a disciple of Jesus does. And it's really, it's pretty simple. It's not necessarily easy, but our task, our mission is pretty simple. Those three things, Jesus laid it out pretty simply for us. Um, you four students tonight, Megan and Lizelle and Hannah and Kyla, you have made a decision to follow Jesus, which is which is why you're doing this. And um, this was very, very common in the first century and before that, that it, like baptism just means to dip or to dunk. It was like a ceremonial washing. Here today in the 21st century, it's just weird, right? Like if, if you have a friend who never knew anything about church, they'd go, wait, what? You get in a tank in front of everybody at this church gathering? And they just like, that's weird, do they bathe you? No, they don't bathe you. But it's this, this practice and it's this symbol. So what is it? It's a symbol of one sort of being washed, but it doesn't wash your sins away. It doesn't make you a better Christian. It's honestly not a next step. It's not some sort of advanced Christianity. You are publicly declaring your relationship with Jesus Christ. It's a public de- declaration. Now, Romans 6 makes it very clear that it's also a symbol of Jesus' death and burial and resurrection for us. And so when I lay you back, students, I will even say to you, you were buried with Christ in his death, and you were raised to walk in new life, Um, and some of that will be in the mic and some of it won't. But that's what it's a symbol of. So when we come out of the water, it's like a whole new life. It's a whole new identity. And you'll still sin, and you'll still struggle, Um, but the main thing is it's a a symbol, and it's a celebration. Um, And so I commend you for doing this. And I'm so excited for all four of you. Megan, Megan really like got this night on the calendar, and it was simply because I think she, she felt the burden to be baptized. And so she and her parents contacted me, and I thought, if Megan's getting baptized, we should let others get baptized. But I hope you guys know this. Biblically, baptism happens as soon as somebody like makes that decision, or as soon as at least it, it clicks for them or it's clear to them. So the only reason at Brookside we sort of do it at the end of the year is because throughout the year, typically nobody comes to me and says, hey, I want to be baptized. And so we go, well, let's just see, did God do any work in our lives this year? We usually do it at the end of the year. But so, Megan, thanks for, like, being willing to do that and um, wanting to do it. And so, um, let me pray real quick, and uh, our readers, readers will come up on stage to read these testimonies, and uh, we'll get going. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for how clearly, God, in what seems to some of us like a very, very complicated book, God, you so clearly portray your desire for us, that you want to offer us the best life possible, and the best life possible is is life lived the way you designed it to be lived. That it's not just about a bunch of rules or a bunch of stipulations, but God, you designed this earth and you designed us, and you know how life works best, and you know that sin hurts us. 
And so, God, I thank you for these three simple things, that if we're a follower of Jesus, God, we need to make a decision, and we need to fish for people. We need to go after people who are sick, not people who are already believers. And we need to do it in love and with respect and with gentleness. But, God, we need to care about non-believers. And then, God, we need to, we need to meet together. And we need to enjoy Christian community as well. And that is what holds us together and keeps us accountable. And we encourage each other. And we hold each other up. And we bear each other's burdens. God, that's what Oasis is. It's Christian community. It's us coming together. And, God, we're always, we're always open to outsiders. But, God, we're always welcoming people in. So God, help us to be that kind of person and help us as a group to be that kind of people. And Lord, tonight um, we're excited um, just for these four students that they publicly want to declare that they've made a decision to follow you. So God, be glorified in all of this. We pray this in, in your name. Amen.